The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Hello, Refuge Church. I wish I could reach through this camera and give you all a hug. Earlier this week, during my personal time of devotions, I was reading through Philippians, and the way Paul starts his letter seems so appropriate. Now, Paul is in prison, he is far away from everyone else, and he longs for the friendship and the fellowship of the people he loves in the church of Philippi. And he writes this to them, I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And if you don't think that's mushy, listen to how he continues in verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you since I have put you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. How I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And then he begins his letter with a prayer, which I will use as our prayer to begin this time. A prayer for you, over you, with you, Refuge Church, this is my prayer, that your love, Refuge Church, may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Amen. We are continuing on in our Joshua series, Enter the Promise. Here in the book of Joshua, we find ourselves in the middle of a story. God has called his people out of slavery and into freedom. They have left, but they have not yet arrived. The journey has been difficult. Many have been lost along the way. Now they stand on the threshold, the promises before them. What will it take to enter the promise? God has not stopped keeping his promises. God has made an eternal promise to all those who are his children. The question is, what will it take for you and I to experience that promise fulfilled? So, I know there are many uh, watching today, or many part of the Refuge Church can relate with me in, in remembering what it was like to enter into the public school setting after being homeschooled. Now, I was homeschooled most of my life. Uh, I know it's a big shock, but uh, homeschooled most of my life. And then entered in ninth grade into public school, Fairview Junior High. Now, when we talk about the promise and the promised land, I think back to those teenage days and how the promise for a teenager, the promised land for a teenager, really probably more than anything feels like the desire for acceptance. That, 
that uh, delicious fruit of having people like you. And man, I remember entering school for the first time, walking those halls of Fairview Junior High, finding my locker and, and learning how to, I had asked the person next to me how to do a combination lock on my locker because I just had never done that before. Ninth grade, never done a combination lock before. And so I had all these emotions. I was scared, I was afraid. And the thing is, I didn't feel incompetent. I felt very competent, very, felt very capable. And yet none of those things really mattered whether or not I was going to be accepted. It would take someone to reach out and show me kindness. Someone to reach out, take a risk on me and show me kindness. Now, now that sort of kindness is what we call mercy. For someone to show me mercy. Now the amazing thing is, as we consider our lives and the stories we read in the scripture, is while we long for mercy, someone to show us kindness, reach out and give us something we don't deserve or haven't earned, um, we see how hard it is to give that mercy to somebody else. To, to turn and invite someone else into the acceptance that we have found. I think of um, the cafeteria in, in a high school or junior high, and, and how those tables in the cafeteria, uh, they become these own little kingdoms, right? And, and once you've gained acceptance to that, how that, that long for acceptance, how hard it is then to keep that open to those who, who come uh, after you. And man, I, uh, I don't know, a lot of feels right now, thinking back on that. Uh, we can talk more about that later. But I want to share how, how hard that is to give acceptance while we read the scripture and how that acceptance, that mercy is integral to the heart and character of God. So while we long for it from others and we long for it from God, and we struggle giving it, that is part of God's nature to give kindness and, and to give mercy. We read in, uh, in Micah 7.18 that, that God, it says, delights to show mercy. In Exodus, where God comes before Moses and he, he declares who he is and he declares his character, it says this, that this is the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Merciful and gracious. That is who our God is. And we read that here in the stories uh, of Joshua, um, a God who is uh, just, a God who, who, who comes with justice to, um, uh, into the land of Canaan and, and brings a just judgment on a people while also showing mercy. And I think there are few stories uh, in this book that represent it as well as the one we're going to see today. And that is the story of the people of Gibeon. Now to catch you up to where we're at in the book of Joshua, we've, we've, kind of, we've come quite a ways. We've already seen God work uh, by stopping up the Jordan River and letting them cross and then the, the taking of Jericho and they're, they're fumbling with Ai and, and then they go and they experience victory at Ai. Now, following that, they had this renewal of a covenant, and, uh, and then we come into Joshua 9. And in Joshua 9, uh, 
they've had quite a bit of success uh, in their in their campaign so far. And so the kings on the west side of the Jordan River are scared, and and they gather together to fight against Israel. Now, all of them choose to fight against Israel. It seems like other than one people, and that is the people of Gibeon. Now, you might think the people of Gibeon decided not to fight because they were weak, they were puny, they just didn't want to fight. But that's not the case. We actually find out later in chapter 10 that that they are a large, it says a large kingdom, larger than I, and they also have well-trained soldiers. And so that isn't the reason. The reason we find out in chapter 9, verse 9, it says they came because of the fame of the Lord. Gibeon has decided not to fight because they know they can fight against people, but they can't fight against God. Uh, and that is so telling that, that all these people have heard, and yet it's the Gibeonites who have responded by coming. Uh, out of fear of the Lord, they've come, and they've come with a plan. Now, they know they can't take them by force, and so they decide to be a little wily, and they dress in ratty clothes, and they, uh, they take old bread, old moldy bread, and other food that has just been staled with time, and, and they come to Israel that isn't far away, the camp of Israel, and they present themselves and they say, Man, look, we, we, when we started, our clothes were in good repair and our, our bread was fresh. Now look at it. We are, we are disheveled. You know, we, we've been traveling for days and days and days. And, and one of the most pivotal verses in the whole text is that it says the leaders... And Joshua, they hear these people, but in verse 14 of chapter 9, it says that they did not inquire of the Lord. And in the whole first chapter, God is just silent. God is silent while they're interacting with this people who have come because of God's fame. Not because they're scared of the Israelites, but because they're, they're in fear of the wonder of God, the glory of God. And so they come and... And uh, Joshua and the leaders don't inquire of God, and so they fall victim to the ruse, the, the lie of the Gibeonites. And they make this oath with them. They make a covenant to, of peace with them. Now, they discover not long after that the Gibeonites actually live close to them. They live in one of the surrounding uh, cities that they would have conquered along the way. And so, per usual... The people grumble at the leadership, and they get upset at Joshua because they wanted the land. It's amazing how quickly they've got knowing they need to rely upon God for every step. Everything they do, they don't rely on Him, and now they're grumbling again. So, uh, if you have your Bibles with me, um, go ahead and turn to Joshua 9, starting in verse 18. We're just going to read what the response is here. It says, but the Israelites did not attack the Gibeonites because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders answered, we have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that God's wrath will not fall on us by breaking the oath we swore. They continued, let them live and let them be woodcutters and water carriers in service of the whole assembly. So the leader's, uh, leader's promise to them was kept. Then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and he said, why did you deceive us by saying 
We live a long way away. Well, actually, you live nearby. You are now under a curse. You will never be released from services, woodcutters, and water carriers for the house of the Lord. And that was something added on that we didn't get last time. Woodcutters and water carriers, not just for the assembly, but specifically for the house of the Lord. And then they they answered Joshua, Your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give the whole land and to wipe out all of its inhabitants before you. So we feared for our lives because of you, and this is why we did this. We are now in your hands, so do whatever uh, seems good and right to you. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites and did not kill them. That, That day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers to the assembly, and to provide for the needs of the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. And that is what they are to this day. And that is what they are to this day. Oh, man, what can we learn from this? I, like all these stories, they fill me with so much fascination. Um, I'm curious about how the Gibeonites felt as they walked towards the camp of Israel. Would their, would their lie work? Would they be able to trick Israel into making a pact of peace with them. And and I imagine all along the way they were wondering, will God take this offer? Not just will the Israelites, because they probably thought, man, Israel wants our land, but will, will God be in for making a bargain with us? Will God be in it to provide mercy to us in this time? Because we know that the promises he made is that they're going to come into land, they're going to take it over. But what about us? That's what they're thinking. What about us? And and so the, the first thing we can learn from this is God makes his mercy available to those who live in the land of destruction. God makes his mercy available to those who live in the land of destruction. And, and we know this even without God speaking yet. Now we're going to see God show up in amazing ways in chapter 10. But even without God speaking it, without God weighing in, we see God is making his mercy available to those who live in the land of destruction. But first I just want to talk about the idea of destruction because this is, this is the difficult part of Joshua. And, and for the next um, 12 chapters, really, uh, all the way up through 21, um, Israel is going through Canaan on a, on a conquest. And this is difficult. And so I want to just talk about that. Um, in, in chapter 10, the word used that's used previously in the book of Joshua, but it's actually used six times in chapter 10. The word destruction is is harem, H-E-R-E-M, and it means total, absolute devastation and destruction. Now, now, destruction is a word that we avoid. I mean, I think of any context where we would look at somebody and say, I will destroy you. And in any context I think of, that hurts, even if I'm playing a board game with somebody, okay? So this is tough. This, this fury, this anger, this absolute devastation. How do we interact with this? This wrath of God towards a certain people. And this is what causes many people. To say, how could God be loving if he can do this? How could we say God is love if he can show wrath? 
In Romans 11.22, it holds the character of God together and shows the different parts we see in him. It says, see the goodness and the severity of God. See the goodness and severity of God. And, and as we read through Joshua, it's kind of what I hold up to you. See the goodness and severity of God. See, someone can be filled with righteous wrath. God can be filled with righteous wrath. What God holds out as we see his goodness and his severity is he holds out a forewarning. Or he holds out a message. And we see this go throughout the entire land. This is who God is. His fame has spread before him. Remember chapter 9 verse 9. They came because of the fame of the Lord. And the message of God is going in front of them. As a warning. And we wrestle with the same thing. As we even work our way into the New Testament. And, and we see a God who, who holds before us, heaven and hell. Eternal life with him or eternal destruction apart from him. And, and, and oftentimes we, we recoil because we want to just continue doing what we do. And yet God's mercy is held out in his forewarning. Inviting us to come in humility to him. And find mercy when we come to him. In Hebrews 6... It says this, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, so why he, while he shows destruction, he also shows mercy. He shows mercy, mercy to those throughout the Bible and even to this day who live in the land of destruction but approach humbly his throne of grace. And we see it in, in the, the people of Gibeon because as they come, even without God speaking, as they come from this condemned land to God, we, were spent, we see them responding to the word of God and Him redeeming them and giving them this incredibly, incredibly privileged place of serving His own home. Now, now, if you're like, that doesn't sound like a good deal, I want to give you the context of the Psalms and those who, who got to worship God in this tabernacle and how they longed to spend all their time there, how they longed to be wood carriers, well, water carriers and woodcutters in the house of the Lord in Psalm 23, 4. It says this, One thing I ask of the Lord, this only I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of the life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. Psalm 84.10 Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And that, that is what the Gibeonites got to do. What they were longing to do. They would heard of the fame of the Lord. And all they wanted to do was to serve Him. To be with Him. And, and they got to experience the mercy of that they longed for. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. I would rather, rather be a woodcutter for the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And so they came and they received mercy. There is mercy to be found 
and we hear the fame, the fearful fame of the Lord, and we respond by coming. Now, it's a little clumsy when they come. You know, they're, they're trying to kind of trick Israel, but the thing is they come. And I think oftentimes we need people to say the right thing or do the right thing. And, 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 and giving it, they didn't do the right thing. They came and they tried tricking them, but God received them in his incredible mercy. And we see these stories throughout Scripture. Mercy upon mercy upon mercy. Rahab, Joshua chapter 1, a redeemed prostitute who, who heard about God and responded by welcoming in his people. Joshua 2, 8 and 11. This is, this is what Rahab says. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear. We have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea. And she goes on and, and says, I, we've heard of the Lord. We've heard of the Lord. And now she responds to the Lord. And her name is in the genealogy of Jesus. She also was part of Jericho, uh, living in a condemned land, and yet God shows her mercy. Fast forward all the way to the New Testament, and we, we read the words of Paul, a redeemed murderer, who says this, Even though I was one, a blasphemer, and a persecutor, a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of the Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying and deserving full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. <laughs> mercy, mercy, mercy. And mercy for you and me. We have a, re a redeemed people of Gibeon. We have a redeemed prostitute. We have a redeemed murderer in Paul. And we have you and me. Redeemed from what? What was our identity before we heard of the fame of God, we responded in fear of the Lord. Because we responded in humility, saying, God, I don't deserve it, but I want to come and I want to be a part of your people. I live in a land of destruction and I want to be a child of the promise. And we became that. God holds out mercy to those who live in the land of destruction. While we read the scripture and, scripture and we wrestle with it because God is a just and a righteous God. We hear a message of mercy weave throughout the whole thing. His fame and his glory that at first terrifies our hearts because we see who God is in his holiness. And yet, this is so good. Yet in the holiest of holy places and the temple of the Lord which Gibeon would be woodcutters and water carriers for, in that holy of holy places, there was an, an Ark of the Covenant. The covenant God had made with people. And on the top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. The mercy seat. See, there will one day be a judgment seat, but before that comes the mercy seat. And we can approach the mercy seat, God, saying, God, we know who you are. We've heard of your fame and we've come to serve you. And better is one day in that place of serving you than thousands elsewhere. Hallelujah. And yet God still hasn't spoken. <laughs> in chapter 9. We got all that and God still has not spoken. We're still waiting for his voice. So it's waiting for his voice. Now, have you ever been doing work? And you have someone with you who's way more experienced. You're working on a car, you're, you're 
you're trying to build something, whatever it is, you're, you're working, and you have this skilled craftsman by you. And so you're, you're trying to do this project, and, and you, you get to a part that's kind of frustrating, and yet the craftsman is silent. Man, you're doing everything you can to try to jimmy-rig it at this point, and you keep, you're struggling, and yet the craftsman remains silent. In your mind, you're getting agitated. Why will not he speak? Why will not the craftsman speak? And you're just getting upset. You're like, man, they see what's happening right now. And yet they remain silent. And so eventually, eventually you explode. You're like, why haven't you said anything? Why haven't you said anything at this point? You see that I am struggling. And, and they respond, you see, I was waiting for you to ask. I was waiting for you to ask. And then they respond and their movement is fluid and experienced. What has taken you clumsy hours to try to figure out took the master's hand only moments to do. What took you hours to do, the, the master's hand in fluid moments, he comes in and he, really quickly, one second, my phone, Siri just activated, and so I'm going to go turn it off. Sorry for that quick interruption. <clears throat> um, my phone just started actually preaching to me. So um, I think that was just, we're going to get into the second part of this. So uh, the amazing thing here is while we wait for God to speak, he hasn't spoken yet. And, that, and, and he is simply waiting for them to invite him into this. So uh, the second point is this, God passionately defends those who have received mercy. God passionately defends those who have received mercy. And, and so what we see in chapter 10 here is the Amorite kingdoms around Gibeon, they've heard of the peace treaty. And so five kings come together and they, they lay siege to Gibeon. See, they don't want to pick on Israel. Uh, they are scared of Israel, but they think they can take on Gibeon, which is just another city that's been by them for a long time. And Gibeon sends word to Israel and they say simply this, do not abandon your servant. Come up to us quickly and save us. Come up quickly and save us. And I imagine this is like adding insult to injury. Uh, so the, the Israelites, they, they prepare for the battle. And they take all their best fighters and they, they come to rescue Gibeon. And, and that's where we find ourselves. If you have your Bibles with me, uh, turn to Joshua 10, starting in verse 7. And, and moving forward. It says, So Joshua marched from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, so that Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road, going up to Beth Horon and cutting down all the way to Azekah and Makeda. As they hurried along, no, sorry, as they fled before Israel on the road before Beth Horon and Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them. 
And more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to the Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, and this is recorded as a song, The sun stands still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like this before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. I love this passage. While it is hard, um, there is a passion aroused in the heart of God we see in this that should take our breath away. It is as Israel mounts a defense for Gibeon and they keep their oath they have made to Gibeon that God comes in the master craftsman the one with skill and he says don't be afraid of them and this is this has been the the word of God since the first chapter of Joshua and we'll say it repeated over and over again and again in the grand conclusion of this entire book don't be afraid Don't be afraid. And when we hear God speak here, when we hear God finally say, don't be afraid, we see him affirm mercy. See, Gideon, they were so clumsy when they came, and they didn't know how to ask for mercy, and so they felt like they had to trick God into it. And yet God delighted to show mercy to those that had come and said, we've heard of you, we want to serve you. We want to be your people Make us your people. Whatever it takes, we want to be the children of the promise. And God jumps into action. We see him throwing the armies into confusion. We see him hurling large hailstones. We see him holding the sun still in the sky. This is incredible. God shows his passion for those who have received his mercy. Now, I think one of the ways that we lack faith in God is that we we doubt his passion for mercy. I want want us to understand the heart of the giver here. The heart of the giver is that God does not give mercy and wait to see if we'll succeed on our own. Let me say that again. God does not give mercy and then wait to see if we'll succeed on our own. You, You see... Gibeon had received mercy, and and then when they they went away, and they were attacked, God didn't go, well, let's see if you can figure this one out. No. Understanding the heart of the giver is understanding a God who is thrilled and passionate to show his goodness to his people. You can hold God to his goodness and mercy. God truly is good all the time. And when I say that, I'm not talking about a way he fulfills what we perceive as being good. See, when when God shows his mercy to us and we live now under his mercy, we live seeking understanding, right? 
We seek understanding to know how he will turn things to his good and for his glory. God, how can it be good? How can it be your will? How can this be part of our relationship that, that there's cancer in our family? That there was a loss of a job? How can these things be a part of your goodness towards me? How do I fit into your plan? And there's some amazing scripture that help us as a light through these hard questions. Psalm 23, 13, which has been for so long my mother's favorite verse. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Be strong. Don't be afraid. Take heart and wait for the Lord. As, as we're so familiar with Romans 8.28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. And all these things, because God is good all the time, and God is passionate to be there for those He's given mercy to. Now, now what does this mean for us who are are receiving the mercy of God. And it, it's simply this, and this is the big idea of the time, that those who receive mercy depend on mercy. Those who have received mercy, Gideon who has received mercy, doesn't go away and they stop needing mercy. because <laughs> Just because they came to this eureka moment, this brilliant moment where they saw the fame of God and they realized he, was, he could be for them. They came to rely on him. And so they say, help! Help, right? That's, that's what we get in chapter 10, verse 6. Come quickly, save us, help us. See, what we need to do is understand what it means to receive mercy. We need to understand the heart of the giver. And it is a gift to the Father to hear our prayer, to hear our praises and our petitions. God is not bothered by our cries for help, but He delights in our rescue. See, the, the person who understands mercy will depend on it all the more every day. If you do not, then you do not understand the heart of the giver. If you do not depend on mercy, then you do not understand what it means to have a relationship with God. In Lamentations 3, 22 and 24, it says this, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For His mercies Never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait. See, Gibeon had made the Lord their portion. Gibeon had lived in the land of destruction, but they had sought mercy from God. Maybe he will take us to be his own. Gibeon had made the Lord their portion. They no longer were apart the land of destruction, they were children of the promise. Can you say this? Can you say the Lord is my portion? If you can say this, then you have no need to fear when you hear of God's fearful greatness because He is for you. He is for you, not against you. If you fear it is because you have made your portion this earth and you have made your portion something else and you have not made him your portion. Have you witnessed the mighty work of God? Have you heard of his fame? 
Have you heard of the goodness and the severity of God? Have you responded? That's the question I want to leave you with today. Have you responded? And a response is simply this, and we have such a good picture of this in the people of Gibeon. It's coming and saying, we've heard of you, God. All we want to do is we want to, we want to leave where we've been and we want to come and we want to be your people. We want to make you our portion, whatever that means. Because better is one day with you. Making you our all, our portion, our everything. Better is one day doing that than thousands elsewhere. One thing I ask, and this I see, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is, that is the desire of my heart. And for those who have made that the desire of their heart, those who have made God their portion have nothing to fear because God is not just presently for them, but he is forever for them. So if you have not, I want to invite you to make God your portion today. Refuge Church, uh, I love you guys so much. Let me pray for us really quick, and then Blaine is going to come and close us. Father, we've heard of you. Some of us are so familiar with your word, and uh, maybe some of us from childhood till now have had such familiarity with your word We've never taken it seriously. It's like brushing our teeth. Can you create the earth and everything in it? The word of your mouth. It says, with a mighty and outstretched arm, you rescued the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. Not long we see you taken for granted, forgotten. And you come in the person of Jesus Christ, inviting us into your kingdom, showing us your mercy. And yet we need to take you seriously to receive that mercy. The reception of your mercy, God, we know it begins with fear of the Lord. Wisdom begins with fear of the Lord, seeing who you are, and knowing it is only your undeserved kindness towards us that will bring us to repentance and bring us into your family. So we pray for that, God. We, just, we long for your love. We long to be in that relationship with you where we get to serve in your home and just be part of your family. Better is one day with you than thousands, thousands elsewhere. I just pray, and I know this is a prayer that you've given us by your Spirit. God, we, we pray for a hunger and thirst for righteousness. God, we pray. And that when the world offers us all it has, that we won't turn to it, we won't take it seriously. We'll turn to you and say, the Lord is my portion. 
And so I will, in this time, I will put my confidence in Him. I will seek His face. And I'm confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, but I'm going to wait for it. Maybe I don't see it now, but I'm going to wait for it. God, give us the courage. Give us the strength to be fearless people and to wait for You in this moment. We might be afraid. God, give us courage to wait and wait and wait and say, I know, God, I've heard of God. I've heard of you. I've heard of what you can do. And I'm just going to wait on you. God, we pray this. We pray this as a prayer for mercy because we don't deserve this. We long for this. We long just to love you with our whole heart and all our minds and all of our strength and all of our souls. To be children of the promise in this land. This land of destruction. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. Alright, I'm going to read a little prayer for us and uh, give us our benediction. Just really thank you for being here with us this morning and spending your time with us. Just learning how to get closer to God. Um, It's just a really beautiful opportunity. Three in one, one in three, God of my salvation. Heavenly Father, blessed Son, eternal Spirit. I adore thee as one being, one essence, one God in three distinct persons. For bringing sinners to thy knowledge and to thy kingdom. O Father, thou hast loved me and sent Jesus to redeem me. O Jesus, thou hast loved me and assumed my nature. Shed thine own blood to wash away my sins. Wrought righteousness to cover my unworthiness. O Holy Spirit, thou hast loved me and entered my heart. Implanted there eternal life. Revealed to me the glories of Jesus. Three persons in one God. I bless and praise thee. For so unmerited, so unspeakable, so wondrous, so mighty to save the lost and raise them to glory. O Father, I thank Thee that in fullness of grace Thou hast given me to Jesus to be His sheep, jewel, portion. O Jesus, I thank Thee that in fullness of grace Thou hast accepted, espoused, bound me. O Holy Spirit, I thank Thee that in fullness of grace Thou hast exhibited Jesus as my salvation, implanted faith within me, subdued my stubborn heart, made me one with Him forever. O Father, Thou art enthroned to hear my prayers. O Jesus, Thy hand is outstretched to take my petitions. O Holy Spirit, Thou art willing to help my infirmities, to show me my need to supply words, to pray within me, to strengthen me that I faint not in supplication. O Triune God who commandeth the universe, Thou hast commanded me to ask for those things that concern Thy kingdom and my soul. Let me live and pray as one baptized into the threefold name. Refuge Church, we encourage you to incarnate King Jesus in city life to speak its languages, sing its rhythms, share its spaces, free the oppressed, fight injustice, and find people of peace, and invite the city into the kingdom of God. God bless.